0: News flash. I'm a complete book nerd. I think this feels obvious. Fiction, nonfiction doesn't matter. I love books. I've always loved books. So like any book nerd who happens to be an Enneagram three, I decided to launch my very own book club, right? That's what happens. So the Gin Hatmaker book club is just shy of one year old. And listen, it has been one of my greatest joys. Every single month, I get to send you a box of goodies and connect you with some of my tip-top favorite books I've ever read, and then we get to talk about them. And then we get to hear directly from the book's author, because I get to talk to them in a dedicated podcast, which is just the coolest. This book club is kind of my dream come true and packed with goodness. If you haven't checked it out yet, our community is amazing. Like it's just the most amazing community. I could go on and on and on about all the awesome inside our community, but hit up jinhatmakerbookclub.com and just join us. This book club didn't just sit around and drink wine. We do that. But this book club actually reads the book and has incredible robust discussions around it. We do deep dives with the book's author, and, oh my gosh, all the little subgroups, the, the chapters, the Jen Hatmaker book club communities, literally all around the United States are just vibrant. I mean, they just turn up. Okay, so back to those book club podcasts. So usually, these podcasts with the book's author are available exclusively to members. That's one of the perks. But today, with their permission... I thought I'd been the rules a bit because one, I'm the boss. And two, this is a discussion I absolutely want everyone to hear because I think it'll serve you so greatly. And that's what I'm doing here. That's what I'm here for. So for the month of April, our book in the Jen Hatmaker Book Club was, you guessed it, my new book. It was Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. And since I did not want to talk to my own self about my own book, interview myself, which would be strange, I decided to talk about this book darling of mine with the very women who lived every single one of these stories along with me. I mean going way back and these are my best friends Jenny and Shauna and Trina. If you've read Fierce, you 100% recognize their names because they're all over the pages of this book and have been in all my books. And I really couldn't think of anybody that I'd rather share with you than my best friends. And what we've discovered together and how we've walked these ideas and roads together, what we've all learned, how we've all grown. I love these girls, Obby, uh, and you will too. So I am so happy and delighted to share my Jen Hatmaker book club conversation about fierce, free, and full of fire with my beloved friends, Jenny, Shauna, and Trina. Please enjoy. Well, hi, here we are. We are all on a recording for a podcast. <laughs> cheers. 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 cheers you. You. <laughs> now, we should be fairly practiced at this because we've been doing group Zooms basically every Sunday night and then some more. So we've had rehearsal <laughs> it's just that this one's recorded and people are going to listen to it. So everybody knows who you guys are because I write about the three of you so much. Like, so first of all, thank you for the content and the material. Sure, um, second um, of all, Let's do like a little round table real quick. So people who are watching can put a name with the face and people who are listening can put a name with the voice. Just kind of, if you'll just say like, this is who I am. This is kind of my deal. Like this is my family and my people and how long we've been friends and whatever else you want to say. Okay.
1: So my name is Jenny. My hair is brown. <laughs> <laughs> I have two grown kids that are like 24 and 26, I think. And they're both married. And that's super fun having adult children. I love them. And so me and my husband live real close to downtown Buta real close to Jenna and Shauna. Like we can walk there. To all the fun places. Well, I mean, right now we can only walk by them. We can't go in them. And I met Jen when she moved to Corpus. I used to live in Corpus before she drugged us all to Austin. So you'll get to hear about that in her book. So yeah, she was, were you 22? I think I was 24.
0: Gavin was a born baby. And I wasn't even pregnant with Sydney yet. So... Gavin
1: turned one when you were there. And he's 22 now? Anyone that wants to know, I found out like within... I think a couple of weeks after I knew you, I asked you if you did your lips,
0: not a couple of weeks, incorrect (laughs) memory, first (laughs) meeting.
1: Well, it was, it was a dinner at my house with just us. But anyways, every time I see you now, I'm like, has she been lying to me all these years? (laughs) So, anyways, just for the people to know, those are her real lips. (laughs)
0: And for the people to know what Jenny really said to me, this is the first time I've ever even known them. Like I could barely even remember what their names were. I was still trying to remember what the names are and we're playing cards or something or we're sitting over dinner. I am 24 years old. Like I just came out of college and she's like, just staring at me and goes, have you had a nose job? And I was like, no, she stared for like one more video with implants. I'm like, well, this is how this is going to go. Also work-wise, just give a quick high level
1: of sort of your work Okay. So I have been a a realtor since I graduated from college. My major was real estate. Like who even knew that was a thing. So I've been a realtor since I was 22 and I'm still a realtor and I like it. But me and Shauna started a like decorating business and I love it because I like sharing things up, putting things back together. I like to tie bow on things. So, yeah, yep. it's super yep. fun.
0: That was really just my way to get to you guys to talk about your business. <laughs> Thank um, you. Okay, perfect. Okay, how about you, Trine? Because we're next.
2: Okay, so, yeah, we've known each other since you moved to Austin. So, yeah, right after you had baby Sydney, I think. Are we at the 20-year mark? That's a long, long time. But yes, three kids, Jen and I spent a lot of time together in the trenches as pastor's wives back in the day. So we had littles and we spent a lot of time together when the husbands were always gone. And that's kind of how we gelled. I kicked Jen into women's ministry. So all of her fame is due to me. That's not a lie. Thank you very much. All the credit, all the... All the accolades are for me, obviously. Mm-hmm. You're fierce. You Rug
0: me into the world of women because up until that point, we were just working with students. And you're like, look, nobody else is at this church. I need you to like <laughs> lead a group. I'm like, I'm afraid of women. I don't understand how to talk to women. Um, women like
2: adult people? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that very
0: first Bible study was at Lynn's house. And I just was so over the moon. I'm like, look at this. It's grown ups and they talk about grown up things and I am never going back and I'm never getting on a middle <laughs> school bus for the rest of my life.
1: For another ski trip. I want to interject here that yeah. I did not think that was going to work out for you. <laughs> I believe you. I had only known you in the youth ministry space and it was going really well. When you told me you were going to start doing women, I'm like, oh no, that's not her lane. <laughs> I'll
0: give it a year. <laughs>
2: Let's see how she does. Let's see if she kicks up her own feet.
0: Okay, so talk uh, about your family, Trine. Oh, yes.
2: So I have almost three adult children. So two adult daughters, 25 and 23, and then one more hanging on in high school, Rip seniors who have no senior year. So sad about that. He's my last one at home, meaning we're all at home, quarantine 2020. So two girls and a boy, loving the lives that they live one is a scientist one is a nurse and then again let's let's get the last one out he can do it please lord just
0: shoving those seniors (laughs) over the finish line me and trina have like just a running daily text of like is this gonna work are they gonna
3: make it are we gonna make it
0: okay yay and how about you sean
3: i'm shauna i have four kids My oldest son is married, and that is such a fun time to have a, like Jenny said, the adding in to the extra awesome person. And then I have a daughter that's also an adult, and then I have an adopted son who's in the Army. And then I've got our baby is a freshman in college this year, just finishing up his freshman year of college, now back at home with us, but... And then I've married to Trace for 25 years and I met Jen through Jenny and then I met Trina through the whole thing. So I just got lucked out with these, this friendship group about Mm. 12 years ago. We did too. (laughs) Same. Yeah. 100% same.
0: Okay. So first of all, thank you for doing this and coming on this podcast this is for my book club and they are phenomenal. And they have been reading fierce this month as the April selection, we managed to shoehorn that baby into the book club three weeks before it came out. And so I thought the four of us could talk through some of this stuff because frankly, there really isn't a single bit of it. I can't, I'm looking through right now, like kind of on my chapters. I don't think there's a single point of messaging in this book that we have not lived together, that we have not experienced together, that we have not walked each other through together. And so I was on a different podcast today and she was asking me about this book and I'm like, this one feels earned. Like this was lived and we lived it and and so I cannot think of anybody who I'd rather talk about it with so let's just I'm just going to throw out some ideas and we'll just kind of round table it I kind of kick off the whole idea of being like how am I actually wired because you know the premise here is that Women are struggling to be integrated everywhere. They're just struggle to tell the truth that there's kind of one version of us over here, a different version of us over here. We have a lot of internal ideas or thoughts or feelings or convictions that sometimes struggle to live like on the outside of our lives. The one thing I was thinking about women, and we all are deeply embedded in communities of women, is that there's a sense of figuring out who we really are. Is it's kind of step one, like way before we get to this is what I do, you know, or this is what I believe, or this is what I want. Just this way, like at the core of who we are, where a lot of women get hung up still because we are handed so many gender expectations and role expectations. Sometimes it's geography, like where we grew up. Sometimes it's kind of in our faith spaces. And so I want to talk at the very beginning about like, this is like who I am. So I think my question to you is very vague and you can answer it however you want. But like, how old were you? How hard or easy was this for you? What did this look like for you to go, okay, no matter what she is or what my parents said or what my siblings do or like, what anybody ever told me, this is how I am wired. This is who I am. This is what makes me tick and kind of wrap your hands around that ownership and be okay with it. Does that make sense? My hypothesis is that that internal identification is a little bit, a little bit easier the older we get. Now, I'm not saying that younger women like our daughters do not have the capacity to be really self-aware and really self-possessed and have a lot of agency over their own lives and Mm -hmm. desires. But I do think it gets a little easier with age and we are all in our forties and fifties. And so I feel like this is work that I've seen all of us capture a little bit
1: better in the last decade Mm -hmm. for sure. Is
3: that fair to say? Absolutely. To
1: me, you told me something years ago that made me start a little bit of that journey. And it was, we were on our way to youth camp and I got paired with a man that was so wise, so brilliant about everything about the Bible. And he was going to be the, they called it the dad to our kids. And I was the mom. And I had already told you, like if I get paired with him, I'll just die because how can I even be, I'll have nothing to say. And we were just like, they need you as much as, they need him, like you're just as valuable, you have just as much to offer. Like, he can't bring to the table what you can. I don't know how you came up with that. I think you used a Bible verse or something.
2: Oh, Canadian,
1: <laughs> so it started there, but over the years, it's like every time I'm, I just keep having to learn this more things about myself how to stand for myself, who I am with my family. To me, it's gotten harder because when you grow a little different than your family or what mm-hmm. they believe or think, then yeah. you really have to learn more about who you are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's really terrible because then you realize you're not as much like your family, maybe as mm-hmm. you used to be. Mm-hmm. And that has to be okay. And you still have to love them. And, and so- you still
0: have to love yourself. And yeah. there's this and moment I, I think where women mm-hmm. just say, this is mine, you know, like this belongs to me. This is who I am, and this is what I believe, and this is what I want, and this is where I'm going. And we just kind of stop apologizing for that all the time, or shrugging it down, you know, or making it a little bit more palatable, Mm -hmm. which isn't to say we're always in a fight with everybody, but there is something about just saying, I have permission to be my own person.
1: Also, I want you to say a little bit about that part of your book that because I struggled for a long time about like, I'm just a medium person. I am good at what I do, but I'm not ever going to like be not ever going to be you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be a stay at home mom either. I'm going to be somewhere in the Mm -hmm. middle. And so you had a part in the book that you talked about, like Mm -hmm. mega women. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. what what were the three women?
0: I just made up some words. I made up some (laughs) words because I like that you said this because this is such like a strong person's title. And I remember right at the beginning when when I first started talking about it, one of the people online said, I'm not sure if this is going to be for me because I'm kind of gentle, like I'm gentle natured. I don't feel like this big, mega powerful. And I was really quick to say, this is not a guide to becoming like the loudest trumpet in the band. It's not a guide of self-improvement. It's more like self-discovery. And so Mm -hmm. some women are... Their correct capacity is gentle and it is subtle and it is tender hearted. And -hmm. that's exactly who they should be in the world. I think all of us probably, I can think of times when I definitely have been told to be less. uh, Virtually every woman knows that spot. You you don't get this many opinions. You don't get this much space, but a lot of women are also told be more. You know, Mm -hmm. like you're not enough and you should be louder and you should Mm -hmm. claim more. And so I think what really is more, I'm not interested in that conversation, but what's meaningful is like, how are you wired? Like, what capacity do you feel? I called it mega, mezzo and modest. It was just made up and I love alliteration. If you cannot, (laughs) you cannot tell. And my last (laughs) step was called of mess and moxie. I just (laughs) like all the letters to be the same. (laughs) And so I think rather than women ratcheting up or down the levels to fit whatever the room is asking of them, there's some really important internal work to do to go, Oh no, this is how I am. This Mm -hmm. is who I am. This is how much room I'm designed to take up
3: and I'm going to take it. And Um, I still bring something to the table.
0: Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if every woman in the world had a mega personality? What a nightmare. (laughs) What a mess, you know, or, that's right. Like, ev- we need every kind of personality, right. every kind of woman. What about if, if the other two of you, like, or if there was even like a specific moment where you're like, I'm going to kind of stake my own territory. It's not going to be necessarily with expectations put on me, but just what is true, like for me and of me.
2: I was thinking, I, I wonder if it's almost a remembering sometimes, because as we've gone through our lives, you know, you have many different versions of yourself. <clears throat> you have to go get them, 20-something, you know everything. You have the 30-something, I've, I just had my kids, yeah. what is happening, I don't know, what is what in the world's going on. 40s, you're starting to kind of see some light, maybe you're, you failed at a few things, and then you're trying something else, so you start to learn what you're not good at, which I think is just as valuable, if not more valuable than knowing what you're really good at. Sometimes I think to myself, there's a little Trina had some, let's call it Moxie. Let's go back to Moxie. But she mm-hmm. had some stuff that sometimes sure. I got something happened maybe, or I, I it got beat out of me somewhere yep. just from a meeting that went bad or a conversation that seemed strange. But the root of me is back there, you know? And so I feel like the journey sort of is like Mm re-remembering, trying to remember who you really are at the root of yourself and not based on the influence of other people. There's good and bad, right? But there's part of us that sometimes will hesitate to do something or say something because you've been burned in the past, Mm -hmm. but you feel very strongly about it, but now you won't say anything speaking for myself, of course, but yep. I sometimes I'm like, I, I just need to remember who I really was and am because that's who I'm at. That's who I am. So just say what you're thinking and don't worry about it. Totally. It's a remembering for me, a re-remembering.
0: Yeah, I like that because it's true. There was a moment when we we're younger before we had a really solid grasp of expectations and gender roles and limitations. And we were still pretty innocent in the world. And I bet for every single one of us, we can uplink the best parts of ourselves to how we were like we were six, you know, that's who we were. That's who we are.
2: And I think if you have kids, you can see your own children, especially those of us with adult children. I remember their tendencies at four and five that are still a challenge or they're still driving me crazy, the root of that person is still there. Like the very root of that person that we've watched grow up, I can see glimmers of it as they've grown. And I'm like, not a shock that you're responding to that that way. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Let me talk to your counselor. Let me explain (laughs) a few
0: things. (laughs) Caleb Hatmaker and Cade Barlow have been giving us a run for our money since they were in preschool (laughs) together. (laughs) this is who they are still are
2: still are yes
0: still are that's good Sean
3: I feel like I'm not a very introspective person I've said this to you guys a lot but really learning who I was took I was a young mother and young wife and went basically from my you know the dorm to marriage and I didn't know myself and it took outside things like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and stuff like that to know myself. And then to say, wait, who I am is okay. And what other people say about me is that's their opinion, but also I'm okay if that's the case. And like you said, those things that I, as a little girl, if I had a strong personality (laughs) or a fiery temper that's still there or whatever, but also it's fun. To have it is, a it is
0: fun, <laughs> I always love to see it,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, she's only grown one shoe in her life, so it's fine. And it was a flip flop, so <laughs> it was a flip flop, just a flip flop. That's right, everybody relax
0: about that. Um,
3: uh, so it feels happy, good about
0: kind of it feels good to settle in,
3: yeah. And... So be, yeah, the 30s yeah. to really figure out, okay,
1: yes, mm-hmm. but young people are doing it earlier these days because. They have all these screw. tools. And also That's they're cool. way smarter than I was. And I think all y'all were too at, Agreed. At,
2: Agreed. Agree. Agreed. Self-care and all those things. Oh, what? Yes. What do you what?
1: Self-awareness.
0: Yep. Yeah. Like
2: we didn't no. talk about our feelings growing
1: up either. No. You no, you shut that either. crap down, bury it in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know exactly. I I was having this conversation with another woman and um, you know, I was saying, I wish that somebody would have taught me this stuff when I was 20. I wish I would have even heard it. Like, I, didn't, right. I wouldn't have even known what this stuff was. I wouldn't right. even had access to it. And she was just like, you know, I don't know if 20-year-olds can hear it. And I'm like, well, maybe we couldn't have because we had no precedence for that sort of internal work. We had no, those were new ideas sort of being trotted out into the cultural lexicon that our daughters for sure are.
2: Mm-hmm. Like we Absolutely. can put these
0: ideas in the hands of our 20-year-old daughters, our 20-something daughters, and they're already yeah. halfway down the road.
2: Yeah, but, yeah.
0: Um, Which is exciting. I love that. I mm-hmm. I love that some of the work that we're doing in our 40s and 50s is going to fast-forward this for our daughters because they're ready sooner. I'm always so impressed with them.
1: My kids did the Enneagram test before even I did. I don't know if yours mm-hmm. same for y'all. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah and it's yep. great like it it's making for healthy relationships for them and, and really just what yes. I even care more so is like healthier adults that they have mm-hmm. a real sense of who they are and where they're going Guys two months ago who would have thought one of the greatest acts of love would be to wear a cloth mask when we go out right so look if you need the hookup for quality cloth masks and want to support a small business, you have to check out Aspen Lane. They're a baby and gift company in Denver and they've shifted their business to meet a need and to keep their 12 seamstresses employed. They now have washable cloth masks that meet CDC guidelines and they've added that to their repertoire with prints and sizes perfect for adults and kids. They'll ship your order in 24 hours and all orders over $25 ship free. My team adores Aspen Lane owner, Micah, and she's given away over 1000 masks to local nonprofits and essential workers because that's what the good guys do, right? Aspen Lane is giving all of my listeners 10% off their order at shop aspenlane.com with a discount code for the love. So grab a few masks for your family and support a small business that is doing wonderful work for its community. So go to shopaspenlane.com and then use the discount code for the love at checkout. All right, back to our show. I want to talk about this because, oh Lordy, I mean, we could talk about this for a hundred years, but one of the ideas, so what I was exploring in Fierce is, places where there is some sort of breach. There's something that's true on the inside and we struggle to live it on the outside, right? Or we're keeping it down or it's secret or pretending about it, or we're afraid to say what's true. We're afraid to admit something. We're all of that. And so generally in every area, except the one we're about to talk about, it's there's something we have internally that we need to give permission to be true externally. But when it comes to like our bodies, it's the opposite. Like we are so mean inside about our outside body. You know, we are just the meanest, the absolute meanest. And the whole body thing, like, I'm just going to be honest. And I, I said it, so it's not a mystery, but this is the one area that I'm still like, I don't have it. Like, I just Mm -hmm. don't have it. And it makes me wonder if I am going to fight against my own container my entire life. And I don't want to. And it's easy for me to, like, get the cart before the horse when I think about our girls. When I'm like, oh, I would hate it if this is how my girls thought about their bodies. If this is the sort of abuse, essentially, that they put their bodies through to fit some idea that, of course, you and I, we knew when we were in elementary school how we were supposed to look and what was going to be rewarded. So I just wonder if we can talk about the process to learn to love our bodies well. And, you know, my friend Hillary McBride, who I reference heavily in that chapter, she says, let's call our bodies a her, right? And a she. She's a part of us. That is, she's not like just some separate, horrible container walking our brains around. What have you learned? Or what have you struggled with? What feels... Like, this is a place I've really gained some ground here. And this is a place that I still just like push up against this cultural conditioning that we've been given. There's nothing wrong with this. This is the message that we were meant to receive. We've been hearing it since we were three years old. Mm -hmm. And so not as if we invented it or something's malfunctioning in our brain. It's just that Mm -hmm. we're targeted for a message and we got it. So How do we unravel
1: this? How do we do better? How can we make peace with the inside and the outside? So I was sitting here just thinking about when you were saying that and thinking, I don't really have this problem (laughs) because sometimes I'm real chubby and I feel like, well, I don't look that bad. But as you were saying that, I remembered how I hate, I don't feel very sexual when I'm at my worst. And so my sex life is not as good and all the things. So, I mean, maybe I do have a problem. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Think about how hard and with such aggression we have pushed our bodies to be smaller. Like yeah. how much we denied ourselves, how much we withhold, and just—I just, spend a lot of mental energy on my, on my body, like more than I like to admit. Mm-hmm. Is how often I'm thinking about what I look like and mm-hmm. how my clothes fit and how I wished I looked and how other people look. I don't have victory in this one yet.
2: Yeah, same. I think that's a hard victory to win, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, social media does not help, as we all know. And I don't think it helps in any age group. Body stuff, man. And like you said, it's really, if you tell me, well, my children, I'm going to make sure that they have a great body image, I'm going to encourage them and tell them that, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter and you need to be healthy and that you're taking care of your body and all those things. And at the same time, go carb-free for two years, you know? so Right. hmm. Hmm. I tried so hard to
3: not body shame myself in front of my daughter all growing up. And then when she was in college, I realized that it's not just in her home, too. It's, I mean, obviously, it's outside of here, where we all hear it. But she struggled, and more than I actually did, I mean... And that was really hard because I look at her body and I'm like, Oh girl, it's perfect. Totally. So if I would just tell myself, Oh girl, what you've got is still perfect. The way I would tell y'all, I mean, why right. don't we treat our own bodies the way Exactly. like, why don't we tell ourselves what I would tell all of y'all? Like yes, I love exactly. y'all more than I love my own body. But
0: huh?
3: See what we do there? Cause I look mm-hmm. at y'all and I think awesome. Look at all the babies you've birthed. Look at all the fun we have. Look at, you know, and then with myself, I'm like, oh, if only I could. I know. Or if only I would have. But. I know.
0: Yeah. That's a great way to frame it up, Shauna, because I am just as generous to other women as I am to my yeah. daughters. And I mean it. Yeah. Yes, I, absolutely. It does help me. It has really served me. Hillary taught me about one year ago. I had her on the podcast. I don't know if you guys listened to that episode, but like, she's a doctor, she's a therapist and she's like, got this presence, like the kind where you just want to like lean into her bosom. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like that's how her voice sounds. And when she started talking about the, she, her paradigm, I was like, what, I just not used to hearing women talk about their bodies like that in a way that is gentle and generous and charitable and kind and Mm -hmm. when she made me like go through this list of everything my body has done for me everywhere she has taken me every Mm -hmm. good thing she has helped me experience like I can just cry my eyes out like why am I so mean to this poor body and it's weird because I think Trina you just mentioned social media which has given us this really narrow very 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 narrow percentage of beauty which is the type of beauty that's celebrated right now, like at this moment in time in our culture, mm-hmm. it'll change. Mm-hmm. It's, it's changed all throughout history. But we see too much of it now. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, yeah. we would have rarely seen that 1% person walking around. Yeah. It would be like a normal sampling of women. And now I just think we see too much of that. And it has corroded our idea of what is feasible, mm-hmm. like what's reasonable, I'm not going to be 130 pounds ever again for the rest of my life. Why do I keep saying that number? I don't know. I, I'd love to see women have some recovery on this conversation in a way that we're not held hostage to this anymore.
3: I think it's just going to take women doing that for other women though, because I think for the most part, men are like, I love the way your body looks. So I feel like we have to start with each other and saying, I love how your body looks. And not be like jealous, but just generous, because I do. I, you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a good way to think about it. Cause, yeah, because you're right. the The men are like, yay, yay to all yeah. the bodies. Like, yes. Hey. <laughs> Check mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so true, and we can't wait for the beauty industry to do it. Because they're counting on us to hate ourselves. It's a billion-dollar industry for a reason. Mm -hmm. So let's not wait on them to tell us how to be healthy either. Because a lot of that messaging is still just horrible body image culture packaged as diet culture.
3: You know, it's Mm -hmm. no
0: better. Or wrinkles.
3: I mean, you know, especially on video chats. (laughs) (laughs) Right? i see no wrinkles on any of us at video chats. I know. That's because we've got bright
1: lights on face.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the, I w- the one thing I was thinking about in terms of body image too is you know, I struggled with panic or like in my 30s and 40s, which you and I went through and really got frustrated with how my body reacted to really an emotional mental state that I had gotten myself into. But then when you go through counseling and learn about it and do a lot more reading and try to figure out what in the world is going on. I made friends with it. Anyway, my point is once you start learning how your body's reacting, your body is doing the work, you know, it's, it's reacting to protect you. And so with regards to panic, you're getting worked up, your heart's racing, you're sweating, your body's working to get you back into a calm state, but you have to go through that period where you're feeling horrible to finally get back there, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. What it really taught me is that our bodies are constantly taking care of us all the time, all the time. And especially through the panic period that I had in my life, you know, it was working really hard. I had to come to peace with that. And there was sort of a moment where I was like, my body is doing what it's supposed to do. It's responding to what it thinks is a major threat to my life. And it's doing exactly what it is meant to do. And so stop being so angry with, the body, I would get really angry and irritated that I might get stressed and panicky. And once I finally accepted that and kind of came to peace with, that's your body's response. And actually at the end of this, you're going to feel better and there's going to be a flood of endorphins and you're going to be much, much calmer at the end of this, at this episode. I was so much better. And I think that Mm -hmm. can carry over into a lot of spaces where you can say your body is working very hard for you every day. Uh, we'll put it through so many things, the stress of work, Holy and it's constantly nice. trying to get you back to feeling calm and, and carefree. The extra weight, the extra things that we are bothered by, it's also protecting you in some ways. It's, I kind of feel like sometimes we're putting on a little blanket when I've got some little extra weight. <laughs> Keep me nice and warm keeping me nice and warm. If we lived in the North again, you know, that would be your nice winter blanket. (laughs) Like
1: you're hibernating (laughs) here.
2: I just think that our bodies, and I think you talked about this, your body's doing a lot of stuff. It's taking care of a lot of stuff. And we're just taking it for granted. When you have food poisoning, guess what, man, your body takes care of that. That's right. You know, when we're having babies, it is working really hard. So I mean, it's Take an anatomy class, figure out what, what it is that your body is doing. And man, it's quite amazing. You know, it's pretty amazing.
0: It's so helpful. Yeah. yeah. It's so helpful to remember that, like, at all times, 100% of the time. So, whatever's happening in a room, there's always weird alliances. This person's for you. This person's suspicious of you. This person wants something from you. This person's going to manipulate you. But your body, Like my body in any room, in any moment, in any scenario, 100% team, Jen, 100%. Like that's the one person on my entire side in every scenario. So when she gives me alarms, like, well, you're not safe. That's her looking out (laughs) for me. And I think that's a wonderful way to like reimagine our thoughts toward our bodies and I'm still working. I hope that when we have this conversation in a few years, I will be further down the road than I feel right now on that really hard conversation. And I hope our daughters don't have to battle it. Yeah. I hope they don't even know what we're talking about. I hope they're like, why are moms like this? One of my greatest joys is getting up before everyone else and having just a few quiet moments with my coffee that is like sacred space to me. Uh, You coffee lovers probably understand. So I'm thrilled to tell you about a brand new sponsor who's making all of our coffee drinking dreams come true. And it's called Kameno Island Coffee. All right, look, Kameno Island Coffee is amazing. And you will taste the difference. They use, first of all, USDA organic beans, And when you place an order, they'll roast and ship your coffee within 48 hours. That is really hard to come by. Plus, Kamano Island Coffee pays farmers above the fair trade rate for their beans, and they commit to giving 2% of all revenue back to the farmers. So good. And get this. They have a coffee lovers membership that's super flexible because you get to choose how often you receive new shipments. Plus you can pause or cancel orders whenever you want. It's like a complete win. So sign up for your coffee lovers membership today. Here's what you do. Go to KamanoIslandCoffee.com slash for the love and you'll get $20 off your first shipment never run out of fabulous coffee again. So sign up for your coffee lovers membership at Camano Island coffee. Let me spell that real quick. It's C A M A N O Camano Island coffee.com slash for the love for $20 off your first shipment today. Okay. Back to the show. I want to talk about this for a second because One of the portions in Fierce discusses connection and how like, deeply it matters to just being a human person. Mm -hmm. It's almost, well, it is the number one factor, like the number one indicator to how well we are thriving or how poorly we are thriving. There's other factors that matter, but able and flourishing relationships are the biggest one. I cited something where researchers said that connected relationships have a bigger impact on our lifespan than obesity and drinking and smoking combined. Wow. So if we are lonely, we are more likely to die 30% earlier. Like Ooh. it's a big deal. Like this is a huge yep. deal. And so I think women have a lot of shame and sadness around loneliness. For sure. And I've noticed in the community of readers that is reading Fierce right now, this is hitting a nerve. And so can we talk a little bit about connection and times where we feel like, yes, that I'm flourishing inside of it and times when we haven't and the difference we've discovered and then even what it has taken to create and develop this level of friendship because we have seen some miles together. I don't think there's a single thing you guys don't know. (laughs) I don't think there's anything in the whole world that you don't (laughs) know. So just knowing that this is a spot where some women just feel deeply sad and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to create it or they've been burned and they're afraid to try again. Just any sort of wisdom you have to say about your experience with healthy relationships and tight connections and, and friendships and all of it.
1: Who is real good at it? mostly me and Shauna are the best at it. (laughs) (laughs) When crap goes down, we say it right away. You do. Jen, you like to hang on to it for a couple of days, sometimes by yourself. That's true. true the sadness, Trina likes to just try to bury it first, like in the grass yeah,
2: true. not ask for yeah. help. Nope.
1: <laughs> no, she nope, nope, it. nope. She
2: rejects I it. I reject
1: all that help. And she has the community for it, but she's like, I'll just like, no one has time for this.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that's actually what a lot of people say.
1: Yeah. Like
0: nobody has time for not just what's going wrong or what's hard for me, but me period. Like nobody has time for a friend. Nobody yep. has time for a new relationship or time together because it takes time. Like, isn't that the secret sauce? Like yep. time together? Yes.
2: Well, but we all know with regards to me and my not wanting to share or thinking that it's no big deal. I can handle it myself. We all know that eventually in this little safe space, I lose it yeah. and I come crumbling down. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> it never comes out very pretty if I hold on to it too long by myself. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: You and I, I do it, but we're just late to the party. It yes. just, it
2: just, it's, it's give me everything. a minute. I get, I just okay. need a minute with it. Jenny's always like, I'm not going to say anything. Totally.
3: I'm just going to just uh-huh. not going to say anything. Uh-huh. And then she's at the place with us for five minutes and she just like, says it all out. And I was like, remember when you said you weren't going to say anything? Yeah. And she was like, you know, I can't ever not. Yeah.
1: This is also not even just with us, but I could be like in a Bible study with 30 women. And I told I would tell Sean on the way there, like, this is what I'm struggling with, but I can't share this with the group. It's too emotional for me. And then there I am. I can't help it. I cannot help it.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's so good though, Jenny, the result of that in your life that I see is that because you are so transparent and not afraid to be vulnerable, we know how vulnerability works. We're afraid of it. Afraid it's going to push people away, but it actually draws people in. And so, because of that, you have so many women who are drawn to you because they see you tell the truth so often and with such like authenticity that they think, oh, that's a person I can trust. I don't have to hide from her, I don't Mm -hmm. have to pretend on her. And so, you're like dripping, dripping with women. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like 22. And, you know, they they (laughs) talk to you and they're in your house all the time. And it is because you're always creating places for people to belong. But it is also because you tell the truth inside of relationships. And that makes people feel not just trusted, but it makes them feel Mm -hmm. safe. It's just so true that everybody has hard things. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, we're all secretly always looking around like, who can I trust? You know,
3: who would be trusted? That's really hard. I mean, I have trust issues (laughs) and I was pretty lonely in my twenties and early thirties. And then I finally was like, I've got to just put myself out there. And when I did, that's when I really found that what you're saying, people also were letting me in when I was letting people in, they were letting me in. And that's just, it's, I've never gone back from that. I mean, with some people I do keep myself we met you on this side of that. And so I'm shocked, you know, that you
1: didn't have more friends that you were so lonely. And
3: I had already had friends it. that I was close with. But I, yes, like when you said people, when they're burned by people or right. betrayed, I mean, that's just so hard. You feel like, who can I trust? And So within- what was
0: it, Shauna? Because I think you're saying something important that a lot of people are experiencing right now, which is they've had some really bad false starts or they've been really hurt inside of an important relationship, or they tried a friendship and it went sideways or whatever. And you've had some of those experiences. Can you pinpoint what it was either in you or what was it that made you finally say, I'm going to give this a try instead of just kind of stay super safe and protected, which you could have like inside Mm -hmm. just your little family unit and your marriage. Mm -hmm. Like what was it that made you go, I'm going to like open myself up to these strangers essentially.
3: Um, First of all, I think we're just all craving. I think you said in the book, we're all craving this connection. And so, you know, my husband and I both were just, we had friends in our 20s, but no one we could just always be our 100% ourselves with. And I graduated college in my early 30s. I kind of went back to school. And after that is when I said, I'm going to give some things a chance. I'm going to put myself out there in a mm-hmm. real way with people and take a chance, take a chance, take a chance on mm-hmm. me. I took a chance yeah. on me and mm-hmm. I have made some of my very best friends since that point And it's changed my life. That's good. It's never too late. Yeah, that's right. To go back to school or to meet your best friends, either thing.
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> right. True. Anything yeah. to add train watching each of us in our own lane And doing what you're supposed to be doing is awesome and something to be celebrated. I'm not trying to be, you know, again, this is the benefit of trying to figure out how you are, who you are and what you're good at and what you're not good at. You can recognize, you know, the things that you were meant to do, then that friendship that you have, you're celebrating that friendship Mm -hmm. completely genuinely because you're proud and happy for what they're doing.
0: Right. It's so real. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sense of friends who are just so for each other is special. Like, that'll take you a long way. Mm -hmm. There's just very few things that actually matter. You can be really different. You can have different personalities. Mm -hmm. You can absolutely operate in different, like, capacities. And that, man, that you can say anything to each other. We can hear anything from each other. And we're always on each other's side. It's just, that's Mm -hmm. it. Like that is it. That's life force for me. mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Also, I don't want you to think just because like we have been friends for so many years, but with each one of you, I became really fast friends with. I knew real quick. Right away. Tell you anything and Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So that's nothing that you have to be like, what's going to take me years to get there? Nope.
3: That's true. It can literally take one, one long Chili's date. Oh, my goodness.
1: Honor right. <laughs> <laughs> so <Anna true>. vomited <laughs> on me the first time we ever spent any time together. And that's not like me. Y'all know that's not like me. <laughs> I was true. So it's not. <laughs> I true.
0: think we get to kind of speed up connection to the degree that we are willing to attempt some vulnerability with somebody else. True. Like yeah. that is a fast forward button which I know it's like risky. I get it. Like, I really do understand the aversion to it, especially with relationships haven't been safe for you historically, or if you've never experienced that, particularly like in a community of women. Yeah. But I just contend that the risk is still worth it. Like yep. even though sideways, you know, we've had some, not with each other, but with other people, we've had some false starts where we're like, this is not gonna be the connection I thought it was gonna be. And that's okay. Like not it everybody is, okay going to be a lifer. But I wouldn't want to go back and self-protect just so I wouldn't have to experience that all. Have you heard that I have my very own book club? It's true. And you are invited. Every month at the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, we dive into a book I'm pretty sure you're going to love. And we read all kinds of stuff, you guys, fiction, nonfiction, memoirs, short stories, all written by super fascinating people from all walks of life. So once a month, I send a book and other fun treats in your book box just for you. Um, plus, you get a ton of exclusive perks for being a member. First of all, you have access to our private Facebook group, which is hopping. You get a Facebook Live chat session every month that I lead, in our group, where I just kind of talk through the book thus far, uh, you'll get a packet of materials that take your reading even further, like weekly summaries, discussion questions. We've got an awesome Spotify list that that month's author puts together for the Gen Hatmaker Book Club. It's really, really cool. You get a podcast with me and the book's author um, every single month, and it is the coolest there's so much else that comes in the book club recipes, life tips, meetups. I mean it's just it's packed. So, if that sounds like something you want in on, which you do, sign up now at jenhatmakerbookclub.com and join this awesome sisterhood. So go to jenhatmakerbookclub.com and please for the love join us today. Okay guys, back to our show. I want to talk about this while we still have time. Trina kind of alluded to this, and I feel like this is something I really want to hear you guys talk about. Again, this is a real shared growth point between the four of us. There's one whole section in Fierce under the umbrella of called What I Believe. Again, you know, like with this whole idea of internal tension or questions or struggle that we feel afraid to voice, I find that to be a real common theme inside a lot of faith communities because certain questions are not rewarded, or in fact, they're punished, or diverging ideas are incredibly dangerous. They will endanger your sense of belonging, not your sense yeah. of belonging, your belonging. It can mm-hmm. be removed. One of the chapters is called I Believe in Spiritual Curiosity. And this is something I feel like I've only learned in my 40s, to be honest. Well, 30s at some point, but in earnest in my 40s, that spiritual curiosity is a wonderful thing and something to be regarded in high esteem, not in low esteem. And so I wonder if there's anything that you can talk about. What has your high-level faith process looked like? Let's just say in the last 10 or 15 years, what has changed for you or what have you learned Or what meant something to you as you kind of gave yourselves permission to evolve spiritually?
3: I think so many people, if they do say, oh, I don't believe that or I believe this differently, they're like, "Okay, well, bye. But I feel like I have the freedom to say "In, in my community, in my church, I don't agree with you. Or maybe I was ahead of you or behind you or whatever in a certain way of thinking and it was still okay. It's just us all thinking that it's a process and a journey and not just like hard and fast, yes or no, black and white. That's been really helpful for me spiritually. Mm-hmm. Just to know that not everyone has it right every time and right.
1: Well, you said ten years ago, and it's been eleven years since we moved here, or maybe twelve off
3: the new church.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we could say the last 12 years, how have you changed? It's been one million. I mean, because I, I came from a very, me and Trey moved here to plant also New Church, and we were in a very conservative Baptist church, and we knew all the answers. So, right. you know, I was just coming along to help everything get going here, but I didn't really realize that my brain was about to do a, a lot of, well, I was given permission, basically, to ask a lot of yeah. questions.
2: That's, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And I love that our church, we can believe different things that we don't have to agree on stuff. You can have people that are Republicans and Democrats and all in between. And I mean, a lot of us do have the same heartbeat toward justice and stuff, but other than that, you can be an atheist and come to our church. Like, come on.
0: I think I have a lot of readers and women in my community who are somewhere near the beginning of that process of just understanding that they even have permission to ask hard questions of mm-hmm. maybe the faith they were handed as a kid right. or the structures that they grew up in or what so, their husbands believe what their husbands believe, what their parents believe, or maybe they come from no belief and they're just wondering if there's a place for them to like inside of a fake community. And so I wonder if somewhere in those, the early season of spiritual curiosity, if you will, was that even hard for you? Like, did you even feel like, I don't know if this is okay. Like, I just remember having an internal sense of a little bit of panic, like, where's this going? You know, where that. is this going? Where I'm going to end up? I've been told that that sort of curiosity was dangerous my whole life. And so mm-hmm. that message was deeply internalized. And so I wonder if you guys can talk about those early first steps when you're like very first, like just beginning to reimagine an idea or a doctrine or a position or just whatever.
2: I I come at this from a kind of a different space. You know, I grew up Lutheran, became Catholic went to a Catholic university, got married in a Catholic church, fell away from a Catholic church when we felt like a priest couldn't really help us with our marriage. I feel like the Catholic university experience did allow me to sit in on, you know, we had a lot of theology classes and philosophy classes as a prerequisite. You had to take them. And so there were a lot of priests that love to ask a lot of questions. And that was actually my first experience in asking a lot of questions and, you know, getting into the the really philosophical questions that are fun to chew on. Right. I forgot about those for a long time. And then when we ended up in a Baptist institution where actually we were fed and the Bible came alive and it really was amazing. So it was both and, you know, I got the great part of that as well. Some of the things that I never understood in the Catholic church were revealed to me in studying the Bible in the Mm. Protestant church. So Mm. there's beauty in both. I just felt like once I was able to kind of come back around to thinking about the bigger picture that God got much, much bigger Mm. and could handle all the questions yeah. So any questions and doubt that I had or that other people around me were also expressing, because all of us went through this about at the same time. It was one of this right. an upheaval of what do we really believe is a crisis yeah. of belief. It's the best thing that can happen to you. If you can handle it, it's the best yeah. thing that can happen to you. Because God can handle those questions and he can handle the doubt. And if you've got people that will talk to you about it and let you say the things that maybe sound a little funny in your brain... To find a safe space to be able to talk about that because there's people that want to talk about it too with you I remember you know college conversations we were questioning God and all those things Well, go ahead and do that again you know it's not heretical God right. can handle it he can handle yeah. it
0: yeah I couldn't agree more of course and I think that That level of curiosity and wonder and even open-handedness toward faith, at least for me and the way I grew up, was never celebrated. That was seen as a lack of faith and that was seen, as Jenny mentioned, like the slippery slope was a big thing we were always told. But that's not the way I have experienced faith exploration at all. In my view, a woman who is willing to ask important and hard questions of her faith system, she cares And that means something like that is not a sign of weakness, but of strength. That is something to be honored and to be celebrated. And I hope that women are not shamed out of their search. Or I hope that the threat of excommunication doesn't keep us from Mm -hmm. asking some really good and important questions. And, you know, I just don't believe that it's going to be on our watch with our questions that God's going to fall out of the sky. You know, I think he's going to make it. I do. Yep. I believe in his capacity. Thank you for saying that. Okay. As we wrap it up, I didn't really prepare you for this one. So good luck. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, my whole hope is that women get to the end of this book and they don't just feel empowered to be exactly who they are and thrive in the ways that they are meant to thrive and, and have full ownership over their wants and needs and desires and beliefs and life, like women who have agency over their life, but I hope they feel equipped for it. That They've got tools in their hands and all that. And so I have obviously watched all three of you do this work for years, just years and years and years. Like we've worked through a lot of this together. And so if you had to say, this is one area where I felt like I put my flag on the ground and I claimed it. This is a thing that I kind of earned. I won this in my life. I kind of claimed this as mine, my truth. I'm proud that I worked to a point where I was able to say, you know what? This is true. And this is good. And this is mine.
2: So I was mostly raised by my dad. So I have this good old boy affinity. So I've spent a lot of time in the company of men, even when I was a little girl. We were farmers in Illinois. So you would take me to the elevator and we would sit and they would talk about grain prices and I don't know. But I was always with my dad and with a bunch of men. Later in my career, I end up also in conference rooms with a bunch of men and good old boy Ford dealers and Pepsi executives and interstate batteries talking about NASCAR. And I don't know how that happened, but there I was, right? I finally realized that in that space where women are generally kind of marginalized and not listened to. Sometimes I'd have to say it twice, but I was pretty sure I knew what I was talking about. I wasn't always right, obviously. But eventually, I learned how to make them listen to me. And just by being serious and knowing I, I'd done the research, I'd done the work, I knew what sure. I needed to say. And even now, sometimes I'll question, should I say that? Should I not say it? But then I'll come back to myself and say, you already, you know this. You know that yeah. you know that you know. And so... I'm not saying that your own self-confidence will, sometimes it wavers. It will always waver. You'll always think through things and second guess yourself. But I learned that in a room full of men, I can speak and be heard as a professional. That's a good place to be. I've got other stories too that are not great. But for the most part, I could sit in a room of men and be confident in what I was saying and not as a female or a woman, as someone who had done the work.
0: That's right. I love yeah. that. Yes, I hear you saying yeah. that you figured out how to trust yourself and your own authority, the women' your own knowledge, and your mm-hmm. own professionalism, and that means something. That is incredible. I love that. I love thinking about you in those room full of NASCAR bin. Those are some of my <laughs> favorite were,
2: memories. There are some fun guys for sure.
0: Yes, yes, you heard some stuff.
2: I did. That's a good one, train. Okay. Well,
3: this is a hard question, for sure. Um, I feel like a lot of my life I was told I was too sensitive or had too many feelings. And I think a lot of women do hear that or that you don't know about things. You're letting your feelings come into that decision or all of that. And I think I learned that that can be a strength for me to use my feelings. Number one, to look out for other people, which I have. Mm -hmm to have empathy and that it is okay. I am me because I have too many feelings and mm. it's okay. It is. And people yeah. lie like me for it. Yes. It's a strength. It's, a strength. it's not
0: too many. It's not, it's not too, too many. many. The right amount. Yes. And they have served yeah. you well and they've served your friends well and they've served your kids well. And, and I have to trust them. Trust yes, my own feelings.
3: Totally. Like you said about trusting your own yep words, Trina, that same. I had to trust my feelings. And now that I can, it's just a big thing.
0: That's pretty powerful because that has been leveraged against women for a very long time. The emotional thing, the feelings thing, which is such a wonderful strength of so many women, that high emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, pushing back against that narrative and saying, oh no, that's actually an advantage and everybody's lucky that I have it. It's like really powerful super powerful okay well i feel like so lucky and proud of you and being your friend and being a part of a little friend group that is so meaningful and so forever and so incredibly safe i mean the four of us were texting last night i'm crying in my bed texting you that just never ends there's no end of it and we all seem to take turns falling apart Which is great. And so I will never be lost on me what it is like to have friends who are so loyal and faithful and who are willing to grow together and grow up together and watch our kids grow up together. And that is really special. So thank you for saying yes to this. I am sorry how often I drag you guys on the videos. It won't end. You know that it won't. I'm not really sorry, but I'm a little bit sorry. Um, Also, we're happy
1: about it because we put on makeup today. For the first time in
2: six weeks. Yeah, no kidding. I put in earrings too, which I haven't done that in ages.
0: When the four of us jumped on this Zoom, that's the very first thing we all said. We're like... Look
2: at your eyeliner!
0: Like, <laughs> oh, wow! But it's been the quarantine faces for some time. True. Hey, that's it, everybody. Love y'all.
1: Okay, love you. Love you.